Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Learn more about the program, podcast, our thank you gift, and how to donate when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 called The Lord's Supper. Jude 12 says, These men are those who are hidden reefs in your love feasts. When they feast with you without fear, fear, caring for themselves, they are clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead and uprooted. Can you imagine on the heels of a meal like that with all of this stuff going on, somebody coming up to a microphone and praying something like this? Lord, as we take the elements of the Lord's Supper following this great potluck time, thank you for giving your precious life for all of us. Thank you for laying down your rights and shedding your blood and dying for us as the bread of life, the the juice of the new covenant, the wine of the new covenant in Jesus' name after you just did that? Can you imagine how hypocritical somebody who's poor in that setting listens to that prayer and says, really? And frankly, sometimes people look at us And maybe if our behavior is contradictory, they think the same. Drunkenness was closely associated with idolatrous rites from pagan festivals, and maybe that was a bit of what the Corinthians were carrying into the so-called Lord's Supper. One writer says, call it what you will, but don't call that the Lord's Supper. Strong. Paul says, what? (laughs) You ever just been there before? What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Probably addressing the the wealthy here. Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you, says Paul? Shall I praise you? In this, I will not praise you. This is not what should be happening. How could this be, says Paul? Jesus Christ laid down his his rights for us. We have a Last Supper tradition that we're going to see, a teaching passed along, but we got to see the big picture of the meal. For I received from the Lord, 23, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. Now, I hope you can see that even though this is important doctrine, Paul's main emphasis is not necessarily to correct a wrong understanding of communion, but to correct their attitude. Read it in this way. Think about their attitude. And when he had given thanks, Jesus, the Greek word for give thanks, there is Eucharisteo. It's where we get the idea of the Eucharist, but it means to be grateful. He, Jesus, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you, or which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Can you imagine being in that setting? You're remembering what the Lord did for you. I gave myself for you. I'm the bread of life. And yet having an attitude that's so opposite that, That's what Paul is getting after. He's saying, when you remember Jesus at this miracle meal, think about what it communicates. In the same way, Jesus, the head of the church, took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, many of us have learned the connection from the Passover and the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and lentil to the 
final Passover lamb, Jesus. We understand his blood was shed for our sins. But what Paul is after here is, do you see the giving component of the meal? Do you see what our master did for us? How he bought us with his blood from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup that is the Lord's Supper, what do you do? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Every time you take communion, you make a proclamation, brothers and sisters, whether you know it or not. You know what you're proclaiming? That you believe in the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ for your sins. And that you are grateful for what he did for you. How he died and was treated as though he committed your sins and took the, the abuse and the punishment and the wrath of the Father on our behalf and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Such love. Such self-sacrifice for people who hated him. God put his love on display at that cross. And Paul says, can you go to that table that proclaims that loving act and do what you're doing? No. No, 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 says Paul. This does not fly. See, when you take the Lord's Supper, you're making a proclamation to all who may be there and who may know about your life. And your proclamation is also anticipatory. It is a proclamation filled with anticipation because it says, you proclaim the Lord's death, what's your Bible say, end of 26, until what? Until he comes. And when he comes, what's going to happen? We're going to be before his throne. We're going to be one people in his glory. There's an anticipatory aspect of the Lord's Supper where we will be at his feet. Will I be able to say a word? Will I be able to sing or dance? Will I be able to even speak at all? That's what this meal anticipates. Christ's blood removes every barrier, socioeconomic, racial, class, gender, age, etc. It anticipates a day when we will be there rejoicing at the feet of our Savior. See his wounds for us in his hands, feet, and side. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, y'all ready? Buckle your seatbelt. Shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, I think that oftentimes when we've, if you've been in a church who shares communion every week, maybe there's been an overemphasis on this part of it. All right, you better examine yourself and examine yourself carefully, right? And examine yourself again just in case you weren't careful the first time. <laughs> now look, hold on. The Lord's Supper should be celebratory. It's a celebration of who we are. He invites us to the table. We should rejoice. It's a supper with our King and our Savior and our God. But let's not go to it with some calloused attitude. Let's not go to it as the apostles were arguing about which one of them is going to be the greatest and Jesus had to wash their feet to send a message. Stop it. This is not how my church is going to change the world. You see, it can be taken in an unworthy manner. Now look, every time I come to the table in one sense, I'm unworthy to take the bread and the cup. Amen? Every time. I know who I am. I know how many times I've failed. So the issue is not that I'm an unworthy person because if I'm 
categorized that way, nobody could ever come to the table of the Lord. Amen? That's not the issue. The issue is not who you are. You've been saved and redeemed in Christ. The issue is the wrong attitude. The issue is disregard for the message of the meal and the people around you who are taking it in. And if you trample on our country's flag, you dishonor a, a pe- not just a piece of cloth, but you dishonor the country it represents. To come unworthily to communion does not simply dishonor the ceremony, it dishonors the one to whom, or the one we give the honor to, or the one we celebrate. So let each one, each man, let each man and woman examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Paul's not saying don't eat it. Paul's not saying, uh, well, just beat yourself up at the table. But Paul is saying, examine yourself and then eat. Paul says, I strongly advise you to search your heart and see if this attitude is in you. I just wrote in my notes, oh Lord, when I eat of your supper, grant me your love in my heart. Every time I partake of the elements, retune my heart to your love. If there's something amiss, if I've come to this table with the wrong attitude or pride or whatever, change my heart because this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for one another. That's the message. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if, 29, he does not judge, that's the word discern the body rightly. New King James, he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. The word for judgment is crema, and it can have the implication of discipline, that the Lord would discipline those who were selfish, self-centered, and ran roughshod over the holiness of what it represents, and the Lord of the meal, or secondary meaning possible, not discerning the body could be the body of Christ. If you don't discern the body rightly, it could be the body and the blood of the Lord, and maybe it can mean both, but it also can be the body, which will be the main topic of chapter 12, that we're all one with different gifts. It may be not discern, discerning the body rightly in the sense of other people. If anyone eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment to himself. What would that judgment be? Verse 30. For this reason, many among you, it doesn't say a few, it says, sadly, many among you are weak, that's feeble, without strength, powerless, and sick, same ideas here, infirmed or weak, and a number sleep, and if you've ever studied this before, most scholars would argue that word means death. Get this. The Lord of the church has watched the Corinthians do what they're doing, and he has begun to discipline his people. And some are weak, and some are sick, and some apparently he has taken home to heaven. And all God's people said, If that's how serious the Lord of the church takes it, then maybe I need to 
take another look at my heart. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Our mission here at Walk in Truth is to equip you with the Word of God and to give you the tools to express your Christian faith. But how do you initiate conversations effortlessly? Walk in Truth and Pastor Michael Lance would like to offer you the 10th anniversary edition of Tactics, a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions by Greg Kokel. This is how to navigate a conversation to build a bridge from a conversation to get to spiritual truths and to get to the gospel. We are offering the book Tactics as a thank you when you give a donation of $20 or more to Walk in Truth. Visit walkintruth.com, click the donate button, or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's walkintruth.com or 844-48-TRUTH. Make sure you subscribe to the Walk in Truth podcast, available on your favorite podcast app. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if... 29, he does not judge, that's the word, discern the body rightly. New King James, he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. The word for judgment is crema, and it can have the implication of discipline, that the Lord would discipline those who were selfish, self-centered, and ran roughshod over the holiness of what it represents and the Lord of the meal or secondary meaning possible, not discerning the body could be the body of Christ. If you don't discern the body rightly, it could be the body and the blood of the Lord, and maybe it can mean both, but it also can be the body, which will be the main topic of chapter 12, that we're all one with different gifts, it may be not discern, discerning the body rightly in the sense of other people. If anyone eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment to himself. What would that judgment be? Verse 30. For this reason, many among you, it doesn't say a few, it says, sadly, many among you are weak, that's feeble, without strength, powerless, and sick, same ideas here, infirmed or weak, and a number sleep, and if you've ever studied this before, most scholars would argue that word means death. Get this. The Lord of the church has watched the Corinthians do what they're doing, and he has begun to discipline his people. And some are weak, and some are sick, and some apparently he has taken home to heaven. And all God's people said, wow, wow. If that's how serious the Lord of the church takes it, then maybe I need to take another look at my heart and my attitude. Now, some of you may say, well, why this severe discipline? I think this is a pretty unique situation probably unlikely that it could be duplicated in the modern church in this setting. However, the attitudes could still be there. Why is the discipline so strong? I think because Jesus, the head of the church, is saying you're misrepresenting the cross to a world I'm trying to reach. And if you're going to continue to do that without repenting, I'm going to deal with you. And the Lord disciplines the ones that he loves. 
Those whom I love, I discipline. Therefore, repent. That's written to a church in Revelation chapter 3. So we come to the table, and we hear what Paul says, and we, we see these words. He says, but if we judged ourselves rightly, if we just did a little business with the Lord, then we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord. That has the idea of training a child in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. If the Lord does discipline us, and we all have probably experienced discipline in one form or the other, it's so that we're not condemned with the world. <laughs> you know, if a, if a p good parent disciplines a child, it's so that that child doesn't go off the deep end in the world and destroy themselves. Amen? Discipline can be a good thing if it keeps you from destruction. Some people say, I, I, I don't want to hear about the discipline. Well, you can go like this, la, 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 la. <laughs> but I got news for you. The Lord disciplines his people so that we won't be destroyed with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Lexical evidence suggests, says Garland, that the word here means to receive with the idea of sharing. It could be wait as in time, or it could be start sharing with one another. You made that wonderful potato cheese soup? Share it with the poor people who come in with just a little bit of bread. Because when you share, it's showing that you've been transformed by the love of Jesus. Open up your heart. Unlock some of those places where your pride and the culture that you're so ingrained in their ideas gets flipped upside down and start loving people who are different from you. We were at a church potluck some years ago and there were some people that, I was a young Christian, there were some people that were very different. It'd be 95 degrees outside, they would show up to church, they would zip their jackets all the way up to their eyebrows. <laughs> they just looked above the jacket. They were, they were different. <laughs> I'm at a church potluck with my buddies, had a second plate of mac and cheese. The Steelers, they're going to play. And the Lord's like, go over and talk to those people. They're all alone. I'm like, no, that's the mac and cheese. That's not the Lord. That's the mac and cheese talking. Go over and engage those people. Well, you can't say no, Lord. <laughs> so, yes, Lord. So I walked over there, made some eye contact above the jacket. How you doing? <laughs> you know what? They did not speak like aliens. We are from this planet. We have come just for a little. <laughs> no, it was none of that. They're like, we're doing okay. How you doing? I didn't ask them, why do you zip up your jacket to your eyebrows? I just started talking to them, and they were wonderful, lovely people sitting all alone. And the Lord said, I want you to go love them. You put aside your pride. You put aside the way you can look down on people and think you're so cool, and you do what I did for you. Yes, Lord. How about this week? Your prayer and my prayer is, Lord, if there's somebody marginalized over here that I wouldn't normally talk to, someone at church that I never say hi to because they're a lot different to, than me, today that stops. 
because I belong to you and I want your heart. And the only way this world is going to change is if I not only preach the gospel with these lips, but I actually live the gospel. And so if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you may not come together for judgment and the remaining matters I shall arrange when I come. Lord, to the final church at Laodicea, you said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. You were standing outside the church door, knocking to be let back into a church, a lukewarm church, Laodicea, who had left the love of people, who had become lukewarm to the needs of others, who had become lukewarm to the kingdom of God. And you knocked and said, let me back in. I want to dine with you. I want to retune your heart. I want to set you ablaze again. I want you to be cool and refreshing to others. I want you to be medicinal to others. Let me back in. Would you keep your head and heart bowed in an attitude of worship if you've not met Jesus or if you need to let him back in. Just do some business right now. We've just been told that a person examine themselves and then let them eat the bread and enjoy the cup. Once we've done this, man, we are free to eat. But we may need to repent of some things. And the first act of repentance you need if you don't know Jesus is to repent of your sin and say, Lord, I want to know your love. Change me. I believe you died on that cross I believe in what this meal represents. I believe in your resurrection. Save me from my sin. Change me, Lord. Make me your child. If you've been a lukewarm Christian or maybe you've moved away from closeness and zeal, just say, Lord, I want to come back home. I repent of a wrong attitude. You fill in the blank. But Lord, as we come to you as a family of God, I rejoice in the beauty of this congregation. The hearts of these, these precious believers are so wonderful. So many beautiful good works that are happening. But Lord, we can miss stuff. And so help us. If there's any area where we need to change, may the head of the church, the Lord of the church, have your way in this church, in this fellowship, Lord, in my heart. We love you. And we ask your blessing now as those are coming to your table. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You're listening to The Lord's Supper, part three on Walk in Truth. Remember, our goal is to build you up so you can reach out to your community with the love of Christ and the knowledge of the gospel. You heard about our 633 event last month with Greg Kokel, teaching those who attended how to build a game plan for discussing their Christian convictions. If you're a monthly partner with Walk in Truth, then we'll be sending you Greg Kokel's book, Tactics. If you've been considering partnering with us, please visit Walk in Truth and click the Donate button. Anyone who gives $20 or more or becomes a monthly partner of $10 or more will receive the Tactics book as a thank you. Learn more when you click the Donate button on walkintruth.com. Thanks for your donation. Now, here's Pastor Michael. You know, ultimately, the Lord's Supper is a table to remember. It's a table to look forward. It's a table to celebrate and to think about his love and his goodness to us. He invites us to the table of the Lord. And he made a way by dying for us and rising from the dead. This is why it's so beautiful to know the Lord says, come, 
come and dine with me and I with you. I want to know you better. And so this table is not just about the elements as important and significant as they are. This table is about the Lord. It's his supper and he wants you there. That's the beauty of a relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Hey, this is Pastor Michael Lance, and you know, we've been hearing a lot about things going on in the news, life and death stuff. We had a local uh, situation here in the city of Corona where three sophomores lost their lives in a tragic situation on the road, an accident that took their lives. And then we had the helicopter crash with Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and seven other people who were made in the image of God. And these bring up some hard things, some hard questions. But what they do, they do make us think about the brevity of life. And they make us think about even this concept of a divine appointment, that maybe it's a wake-up call. When you see something like this happen, you realize that life can change in a dime, man. You don't have tomorrow guaranteed to you, and neither do I. And so it's important to live for the Lord today. To be grateful, of course, not to live in fear, not to have an unhealthy fear of death, but to have a reverential awe for the giver of life and to use your life as best you can in God's service. We're going to tackle this subject in a coming program in much more depth. So stay tuned for that. We'll be talking about the problem of evil. God bless you. Tune in Monday for Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about spiritual gifts. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.